Hi, I'm JT Haynes with the Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy. We love the Boundary Waters at MCEA, and we are proud to support this 50th episode of the Boundary Waters podcast. We have a new campaign right now at MCEA to protect Minnesota's waters from the threat of sulfide mining. It's called Move On From Polymet, and we'd like to invite you to join. After 15 years of problems, Minnesotans have seen enough. That's why a growing coalition is saying it's time to move on from Polymet and set a better course for our state. Add your name today at moveonfrompolymet.org. That's moveonfrompolymet.org. Thank you. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 50, the 50th episode of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm here with your host, Joe Fredericks. And I'm here with your host, Matthew Baxley. 50 episodes. It's like an anniversary. You made it. So did you. (laughs) We're taking a look back in this episode over some of the memories and life-changing experiences that have happened to us and happened in the stories of this podcast. We should point out when we say episode 50, first of all, congratulations to you, sir. I tip my cap to you. I tip my cap to you, sir. I want to point out, too, for people who've been following the podcast, when we say episode 50, indeed, that is an achievement. However, we've also had many short tracks, we've called them, during the recent wildfires and the closure of the wilderness in 2021. We've been doing uploaded tracks that didn't qualify or we didn't list them as an episode. So we've had many, many things we've put onto the podcast that weren't these bigger episodes, if you will. Mini episodes. Right. Short tracks. But as far as official count, the tally of episode 1, 2, 25, 30, this is 50. It's a milestone for us because it feels worth celebrating. We want to include you, the listener, in our celebration and in our reflection. I also want to point out before we jump into some of these memories and stories we've gathered along the way, for some reason, it still feels like we're just getting started or we're just tapping into what this Boundary Waters podcast is all about. Well, I think that makes sense because the Boundary Waters is so massive, the community of Folks who enjoy the wilderness is even bigger, and we are still hearing from more and more new names, new voices, new stories that I think we really have just scratched the surface, Joe. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think that's probably a part of what I'm feeling. Like it's it still feels brand new. Each episode has its own excitement as we put it together. Uh, but we've largely held true to our format, which is storytelling. We started this whole podcast because we wanted to share stories of this place that we love, the Boundary Waters. And we're still doing that. Uh, and as we look back at, let's go to the beginning, literally, episode one, uh, we hear from some of our friends who we heard from multiple times on the podcast. They were on at least three episodes, uh, Gabby and Warner from Germany. They were really special because they embodied this international appreciation for a place that they would come all the way from Germany because of the love for this place in northern Minnesota. And their joy is so palpable. Their uh, feelings about the wilderness are articulated with so much excitement that they bring something really special. We heard from them on episode one. Episode 13, I took them ice fishing. They met you at the Gunflint Mail Run. We interviewed them at a sled dog race. It was a tradition for a while at the start of each season. They were a guest on the first episode of that new season. Uh, that, that won't be happening a- anymore in, in that capacity, at least with both of them. Uh, because unfortunately, our, our, our dear friend Warner, who we just heard saying we took the route from Ram Lake to Poplar Lake, and we hear it on every episode... I uh, passed away, and we made note of that on the podcast, but uh, we, we've lost our, our dear friend. And in that loss is a sort of a part of this process. He became connected to us and us to him and his wife. He's still here on the podcast. He he's, uh, became so important to me telling these stories. They were kind of that group of people that I just felt so comfortable talking about the Boundary Waters with. They're so passionate about it. So let's, let's hear a clip, actually. This is uh, when I took Gabby and Warner ice fishing. Matthew, what a day. We got the pink Barbie fishing rod that we still use yes. all the time. We'll be getting yes. it out this winter again. Uh, let's hear just a clip. This is from episode 13 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. We can tell, but I don't think the people are so excited like we are because nobody in Germany knows ice fishing and then what it, what does does it mean ice fishing and uh-huh. you yeah. sit on a lake uh-huh. make a hole in the lake and wait, wait <laughs> to catch a all fish your, are you, your, you crazy all your you fish. can buy it in every shop yeah all your fish ice out of a cocktail glass <laughs> <laughs> so so what about too this the sled dog race? You've actually tomorrow's the Gunflint Mail Run sled dog race. Uh, it starts at Trail Center Lodge on on the Gunflint Trail, and you've actually gone and checked that out in years past too, right? Yes, yes. and oh. it's a very interesting event, and mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that the dogs are so crazy about running and that you're not able to hold them, and it's. It it's make it makes fun every yeah. time. So, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, what are your uh, final thoughts here about ice fishing in the Boundary Waters? Is this kind of uh, this you you've now experienced it, and you can you can close the book on on what this is all about, maybe? Yes, the we have list. the bucket list. <laughs> ice That's fishing. Ice fishing. We've done it. <laughs> All right. But well, perhaps we give you a chance next year. Yeah. I'm more than happy anytime that you ever want to go and you're in the country, please please look me up and, and we'll come out here and we'll try to do a little bit better next time. We caught one lake trout, 
We had uh, all our lines in all day for many hours and, and just had the one bite. So fortunately, the one bite we had, at least we caught the fish. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm out here in the Boundary Waters with Gabby and Warner. Uh, <laughs> such a pleasure to be out here with you. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Joe. Thank you, Joe. Some ways it feels like just yesterday, and other ways it feels like a long time ago. Just want to send out a big thanks to Gabby for continuing to support us and the podcast. And even as she goes through her own transition and her relationship with the wilderness, because it was so tied to Warner and we wish her well and hope that we see her here again. Right. Uh, there may be some things in the works around that uh, here on the podcast specific to Gabby. And uh, again, you know, we heard there in episode one, Gabby and Warner, I met them on their ski trip. They would come in the summer and do a, weeks long plural canoe trip every year and a weeks long ski trip in the boundary waters area so episode one and 13 and uh, you can hear them on the start of every episode as well some of these couples that we've talked to really seem to embody elements of the wilderness that i think resonate with our heart in some way and another couple that is truly unique are Ann and Steve Holtz. Uh, yes, uh, that is episode six of season one, Ann and Steve Holtz. If you recall, one of the unique things about this couple is they have oriented their life around spending extended amounts of time in the wilderness, uh, mega-tripping, basically, you know, up to 90 days at a time, and deeply connected to the water to the land, to the history, and Steve himself had to work extra hard to be in the wilderness because he was missing a hand. Mm -hmm. And that embodied a, a level of commitment and perseverance to something that we all love. And I love listening to them because they, in this really special way, embrace the magic of the wilderness. One of my favorite clips in my mind as we reflect on favorite moments of the podcast is the conversation you had with Ann and Steve where she, where Ann in particular, became really excited talking to you about some produce, fresh produce that she would eat on these trips. The, the, these particular uh, oranges were a gift from some paddlers they met along the way that they had stuck in their canoe at a portage. And, you know, when you're in the wilderness for... Days and days, and you don't have a fresh piece of fruit, that really makes all the difference in the world. Can we hear that clip of uh, Ann and Steve Holtz talking about these oranges? Yes, please. Day 88. How many days did we eat spaghetti on our 100-day trip? 66 days, days spaghetti. of spaghetti. Wow. Sitting in our boat on a boat seat are two big, heavy, perfect oranges and yes. i'd like to tell them what the if amount? they hear this mm. that when i'm having a bad time i see i feel i peel i eat those oranges mm -hmm. they have nourished me more than any food could i'm so glad you you put it that way because i think these trips for most of us, especially those of us that don't get 100-day trips in the Boundary Waters, these experiences really nourish us. 
They do. You know, we had an email, uh, uh, a, a note from somebody on the podcast that says that from Arizona that said, you know, I can't be in the boundary waters, but when I listen to the podcast on my commute to work, I'm there. And, and I think in the same way as you're talking about these oranges, mm-hmm. when you're having to deal with sort of the worst parts of life, you have those memories mm-hmm. like the oranges to mm-hmm. hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ann and Steve Holtz, Matthew, some of our uh, favorite people we spoke to on the podcast early on. This is when we were still, I think we put out a feeler either through the airwaves or online or something. Hey, if you have stories, send them our way. We're starting this new podcast about the Boundary Waters. And they actually, that's how we connected with them. Oh, yes. Yep. Well, things started to get some momentum at that point. Uh, we were rolling with, Story ideas were coming in. We created an email for the podcast. We were getting some attention and notoriety, people understanding what our vision was here. But before we get too far from that, I want to go back to episode two. This is our first winter trip that we went on on the podcast. We've done numerous since. Many times we're out winter camping, recording in the hot tents or ice fishing or whatever it is we're doing in the winter. But this is the first one. It's episode two. And ironically, as the first, it was arguably the most epic. Yes. The temperatures were 30 below zero. Can't (laughs) say that enough. We went seven plus miles into Winchell Lake in one hard push. And it was not without its trials and tribulations and one particular near miss. This is now in hindsight, certainly through the years of the podcast, but... In general, my years in the Boundary Waters, coming up here in 2013, working on the Gunflint Trail that first summer, second year doing the same, then getting more in, engaged with the community and so forth, moving here. This, what we're talking about, is the closest I've ever been to being seriously injured in the Boundary Waters when we were skiing and pulling toboggan sleds on the portage into Caribou Lake. Let's just listen back to the description after the fact. Uphill, it was hard on the skis to go uphill on the portage, pulling the toboggan. Downhill presented its own problem. I I soon found (laughs) out on on the second portage, the first portage with any hills of any kind, any elevation change. I, I think it's fair to say you learned how fast a toboggan can travel going downhill. So I'm going downhill... Essentially, uh, if you would imagine downhill skiing, I'm skiing down this this ridge line on the portage, and all of a sudden, the toboggan that's I'm pulling behind me is moving faster than me, <laughs> and it comes up and it clips me Wham! at the knees. And fortunately, I can joke about this because it could have gone an entirely different direction very quickly. The trip would have been changed. I would have broke my leg. I mean, there's... But something else broke instead. So my trekking pole, ski-type pole, bent in half. It 90 didn't break. degrees. Yeah, but it bent straight up. Mm-hmm. Bent. And uh, that could have been my leg. That's what we were saying. That could have easily been my leg. So again, Matthew, that's uh, episode two out on Winchell Lake, and... Here's something that we did not share, that I did not share on the on the podcast, that episode. Not only was I nearly seriously injured, which is 100% serious. I mean, that could have altered not only our trip, but 
my life potentially uh, as far as just being afraid to even go into the wilderness on a winter trip or something like that. It's just very fortunate to get out of that. What also happened on that trip on night two, I had uh, some gastrointestinal malfunctions. Yeah, I I had something going on. Uh, I recall. Yes. This led to not only discomfort and just the, you know, nuisance of having to deal with that in the winter when, you know, it's cold and you don't want to do that any more than you have to. Uh, I also became dehydrated through that process. Knew we had a long haul to get from Winchell back to Poplar Lake area the next day. Breaking down camp below zero. State of fear kind of came over me that night in the, in the hot tent, as you recall, probably even looking over at me at one point. I think I looked terrified. I remember seeing the look on your face, and it was a look of distress, and you hadn't mentioned anything to me going about camp chores and business. And I inquired, and it was actually a pretty important moment to be able to say, here's what's going on. I have concerns about our travels out. Let's make a game plan. Mm-hmm. And we did. We did, right. Ultimately ended up being okay. We got I got some food down, drank as much water as I could, but there was some catch-up to do. I didn't have that extra gear the next day. And what also was not talked about on that episode was our schlag out. Now, thankfully, it was warm, relatively warm, probably in the uh, uh, high teens. Mm-hmm. But... 30-plus mile-an-hour winds, big gusts. We're on skis, crossing lakes and toboggans. And uh, Joe, though he was feeling subpar, at one point was far, far ahead of me, uh, I think, uh, on Horseshoe and then on Caribou. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a little bit of that dehydration caught up to you because you got pretty disoriented out there in the blowing snow and and howling wind right and went down at one point right (laughs) well i actually didn't see you go down but i saw you laying down far in the distance (laughs) on the ice man Uh, (laughs) jeez and and i think that there's a reality to that that uh there are lots of different kinds of conditions that can cause problems in the winter time and Obviously, solo travel is very cool, uh, but there's something to be said for having a reliable travel companion that can pick up where you leave off. And that was certainly uh, our experience both ways on this trip, to kind of stand side by side, look out into the howling, blowing wind and, and snow and say, where are we? Where's our portage? How are we getting from this lake to the next? That is an important moment. I think so, and uh, I I see you've come with uh, some bonus material today of another uh, audio clip that you wanted to sneak in about, uh, speaking of gastrointestinal situations. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to let this one speak for itself. How's the audio? (sighs) Well. All right, we're not above doing some outtakes here. (laughs) It's episode 50. We're letting it all, we're letting it all go today. Literally, as you can tell. <laughs> Apologies, dear listener. Uh, but I mean, that's all part of the experience. It's uh, one thing you can't escape with when you're 
out in wild places, you got to be comfortable with people's bodily functions, your own, and making room for it all. Which, you know, brings us to one of my most favorite episodes, which these types of harrowing survival moments, we don't talk about them much on the podcast, but the most edge of my seat experience was our friends of the podcast, Jake and Rachel. Uh, most people remember this episode not so much for the humans, but for the dog, Lathan. Let's hear a clip of that from episode 14. It was pretty easy to just start swimming as fast as I could. Um, it just kicked in. It just kicked in, and I honestly, it was pretty peaceful. And it was really freaking um, cold water, so moving as fast as you can seemed like a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely hard. Like, my muscles were really kind of clamping up and clamping shut. And I remember at one point, about halfway through the swim, I stopped swimming. <laughs> and I thought I was dying. I just said, I, I remember saying to myself, okay, you know, you've lived this many years. You've had an incredible life. And I felt completely peaceful about it. Mm-hmm. Um which is crazy. It was just this like insanely large acceptance of my mortality in that moment. Mm. Um, and I remember kind of looking around and being like, Jesus, Rachel, like keep swimming. <laughs> um, and I just, then I kept swimming till shore and didn't stop. Cause I, I knew that my brain was starting to not act super properly. So I just had to keep telling myself, you know, just swim. And then I just had these really like, kind of simple thoughts about swimming. Mm -hmm. But for the first part of the swim, I'd say I was thinking about my life and wondering if it was the end. And the second half, I was just telling my body to keep moving. Willing forward. Yeah. While occasionally looking back at Jake and Lathan, which he'll tell you in a minute what was happening back there. And I remember just yelling back and trying to yell, swim, Jake. But my mouth was so cold that I couldn't get the words out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was just just kicking and flailing at the at the waves there are a few moments i think in life where you actually have to look at your own mortality but this was one of those moments for especially rachel where she really had a look at what it took to push through and make sure that she stayed alive and not just her but jake and lathan too and uh, it's good to know that we have it in us. Let's talk about another transformative episode. I know for episode 14 uh, really was a favorite of a lot of people. Some people at the radio station. Rhonda Silence, our, our colleague and friend here at WTIP, that's her favorite episode, episode 14, Jake and Rachel. She's still just on the edge of her seat every time. Another one of these milestone just events and episodes that happen. Going to Cash Bay. Holy moly. Quetico Provincial Park. Saginaw Lake. Janice Matichuk. That's a name that means something to the podcast, the paddling community, and people all over, the certainly Ontario and the Quetico community and, and here at the Gunflint Trail. Janice Matichuk. I can think of no one else who has impacted and influenced so many paddlers, young and old, still to this day, I am hearing, especially young women who have been deeply inspired by Janice, her presence in Cache Bay, and her intentional 
way of looking out for and taking care of and giving guidance to our paddling community. It was a transformative night for us. We got to go to the ranger station at Cache Bay the night, the the weekend or that stretch when Janice was closing the ranger station. In hindsight, I don't even know how we pulled that off. (laughs) A miracle. Right. Yes. (laughs) The logistics of that, we had to get approval from Quetico, the superintendent, Trevor Gibb. We had to get all these kind of variances to get in there with our equipment and just green lighted on stuff internationally. It's not always easy to do. And we did it. We pulled it off somehow. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, luckily for us, folks identified us as being relatively harmless. Mm-hmm. And it made for an experience that not only altered the trajectory of our lives, but Janice's as well. And ended up in a beautiful uh, book that you wrote, Joe, that paid an amazing tribute to the life of this human. Right. Uh, Her Island is the name of this book, and it uh, originated that night on this trip. We thought of this idea literally around eating steaks at Janice's kitchen table inside the ranger station. And sipping on decaf coffee. <sighs> was it? Uh, how come I was up all night if that was decaf? No. I, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe not decaf. <laughs> Maybe not. Or just because we were on the island is why maybe we were just uh, energetically awake all night because of that. Folks are really familiar, listeners are really familiar with these episodes. Janice has showed up in multiple episodes. I think it would be an extra special thing, Joe, to share some some of Janice that hasn't made it on the podcast yet. Talking with her for the book, recorded hours and hours of audio with her uh, in person at the writer's cabin, on the phone... Uh, outdoors, down by Lake Superior and so forth. So that's here just a, this is a Janice story as she's got so many and just some some thoughts from Janice. Uh, never before heard on the podcast or anywhere for that matter. When my first summer there, or second summer, there was a man named Otter Track Benny. Benny Ambrose, an icon in Boundary Waters like Dorothy Moulter. You met him? You No, he died a year before I got there. Yeah. But U.S. allowed those two people they made an agreement, you can live here till you want to leave. They both yeah. died in their cabins. Benny dies, cabins burnt up, he died. They figure had a heart attack, putting, tried to put out his cabin fire. They found him by fire pump and a hose, so he probably had a heart attack trying to put out his fire. Mm-hmm. So I meet Madsons. Art says, you know, Benny's got a canoe of mine up in Mountain Lake. And uh, I'm going, oh, yeah think I'd like it back. And Dave, his son, who's my age about then, well, Dad, you really want that? Like, that's way up in the bush. There's no portage. Yeah, I really would like that canoe back. It's a cedar canvas, you know. Where's Mountain Lake? So I'd have to show you the mountain. Otter Track. You know where Otter Track Lake is? Yeah. Okay. Do you know where Benny's site was? Mm -hmm. Okay. Right across on the Canadian shore is the Otter Track Cliff, 150-foot-high, beautiful rock face where Benny's ashes were spread. Up on top of that cliff and into the bush about quarter, half mile, is a high, high top lake full of brilliant, brilliant pinky-orange lake trout. Or a brook trout? Lake. Lake? We don't have brook anywhere in the park. Yeah. So... Dave and, I, Dave and I decide to go see if we can find this canoe. Dave motors to Cache Bay. He and I paddle, 
Peter ran the station, Ingolo was a baby. He and I paddle six miles to get to that spot, figure out how do we get up there? We There was no portages marked. We look at the 150 foot rock face. Well, let's paddle over here and walk up about a 45 degree angle to see if we can get to the top. We do. This is the year after Benny Ambrose died. 1985 or six. Your, one yeah. of your first years. Yes. There. And the, this lake is on a map, do you think? Yes. I, do yes, people it go absolutely to it? is. Did in the 80s, 90s, not so much anymore. It's a hard go. There's no There's portage. no portage. There's a moose trail. Really? I'm not telling you talking fishing right now, so just shut Wait, up and I let mean, me tell I my story. No, we're finishing this first. I know, I know. Wait, so I get lake? there. It's not marked McLean with McLaren. 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 It's called McLaren. Benny called it Icebox Lake because it was so cold and he would take 50 trout a year out. That's all. He would guide people there and he said, 50, that's it. I'm stopping. That was his rule. Yeah. So we bush, literally bush crash. I don't think we had a compass or anything. We bush crash the direction we thought we should go. And then we start to find little trails. Huh. We finally get to McLaren Lake. Find the canoe. Oh my God, Joe. It was on its gunnels with moss and roots growing out of the gunnels into the ground. He hadn't been using it had it. been there decades. Yeah. And what it's cedar can't, well, Art thought it would be in good shape, and Dave's yeah. going, oh, my God. I said, Jesus, Dave, we got to break all the roots off it that it's, it's reclaiming the canoe into the earth. Uh-huh. We rip it out of the ground, clean off the gunnels, and the He's carrying it, and we're trying to figure out our way to get back to Otter Track, just literally bush crashing. We end, eventually come out, and we ended up about an eighth of a mile way west, east of the trail we wanted to get down to the lake on. And we're standing up bloody high off the water, man. Like, if we went over, we would have been mincemeat. So we bush crash our way across the top of the ridge, find the trail we want to get down on to where our canoe is and we he's carrying the canoe and we're going down such a steep 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 incline decline incline that dave slipped at one point he just his feet went out from under him and the canoe shot forward and we were on such a steep slope i've got a picture of looking up at that canoe and branches way above our head in the trees oh my god Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, he must have climbed it, wrestled it out, smashed it to the ground. We finally get down to the water, tie it up, paddle pulling that tub out, and then get back to Cache Bay, and he gets it in his boat, motors it back to his dad, and then it just rotted on their island. <laughs> Janice seems to always find a way to show up in our lives, and I'm grateful that she continues to impact us in this way. Speaking of gratitude, one of the things that altered all of our lives since the podcast started was COVID and this pandemic changed a lot of things, changed the way we all operated, still is changing our lives. And because of that change, we had an extra special Thanksgiving last year, Joe, didn't we? We did. We went winter camping. On Thanksgiving, there was just enough ice. There was three inches or four in spots, depending where you were. We were certainly choosing our paths carefully 
on the way out that Thanksgiving weekend. Right. We had Dan from Sawbill Canoe Outfitters go out and test the ice for us that whole week leading up to that Thursday. Uh, we got the green light that he said, it's good three inches right now. We were ready to go. <laughs> Indeed ready. You know, at that point in time, I think we were all sort of scrambling to find something to hold on to. When the normal human routines around holidays were disrupted, and what better way than to get out into the wilderness for some fishing, for some winter camping, and some good old-fashioned mashed potatoes and gravy. Ooh, let's hear that. I want to go out to the ice. It's been really lovely. It's been absolutely beautiful. Just a beautiful, you know, hike slash ski out here. And the sun's been shining today. The snow, there's some fresh snow covering everything. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, really, there's been there's a lot of happening in the food front. So we're up here in on the land base in the snow trekker. Joe's down in the lake base in the ice house. And we both have all of our food that we've brought to celebrate our time out here. And uh, Lindsay, in true fashion, you take the most joy in planning menus for wilderness trips. So what did you plan for this holiday wilderness trip? Um, it's true. I do. I love cooking. It's, you know, one of my creative outlets and a passion of mine so I love being able to prep food for going out into the wilderness because it uh, challenges me and um, I'm vegan so we have here with us some vegan beyond meat sausages we have some dehydrated potatoes um, some cornbread and a, Ooh, homemade cornbread you made the night before we came out here. Yep, that's true. Yep, homemade cornbread made the night before with some uh, local maple syrup, of course, added to it, and some asparagus. And then hot chocolate for dessert if we feel like it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely feels like a feast out here. Uh, Joe's got all sorts of food that he's brought along, too. Maybe he'll tell us about it in uh, just a minute here, actually. We have... A little radio set up uh, so we can correspond uh, between the two camps and uh, Joe should be chiming in here shortly oh Ice tent to hot tent. Do copy over. Uh, hot tent I copy loud and clear uh, go ahead ice tent What's your setup down there, uh, Ice House? Well, I've got uh, tip-up down and Vexlar uh, running. Got a jig on the uh, ice fishing rod, but I think I'm just distracted by the fact that I'm out here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a pretty beautiful day, hasn't it, Joe? Camping trip of the year, and it's just spectacular out here. 
How's your camp set up? Well, as we've been discussing, we got the wood stove blazing and the stove all set up and going. And uh, yeah, we're just kind of settling into the relaxation and the gratitude of it all. Because, you know, we are celebrating a day of gratitude, aren't we? Yeah, I got to tell you, I was uh, thinking over here about how, how grateful I am to be in, uh, out here, of course, but also just so grateful to live in a, a place where we have access to this kind of amazing wilderness and thinking that uh, yeah, I hope other people keep in mind for years to come that, uh, you know, we need to keep this place in this pristine way that it is, this natural, just abundance of beauty that we have here in northeastern Minnesota, the Boundary Waters. I'm just so grateful to be out here and have made a few trips out this year, reflecting on that, but also just really grateful for family and loved ones and also uh you back there at your camp <laughs> well ice house i can speak for everybody up here at land camp and the uh, snow trekker that uh, we're grateful for you too first thanksgiving in the wilderness that was great mm-hmm. a lot of firsts for me because of this podcast it's mm-hmm. given me the extra gusto to get out and do those things that I've never done before. Right. And one of those things was duck hunting in the wilderness. What an experience. I've been duck hunting, as we say on that episode, when I was Fen, another Cook County resident, Fen Hoagland. Uh, but, you know, duck hunting in Iowa growing up, out west in Montana, you know, past shooting on the rivers and stuff. Cool. It was all good. The Boundary Waters. Unreal. It's legal. It's it's a completely, you know, we never had even really thought of it. I had never heard of it until we kind of started exploring the, exploring the, the, you know, can we even do this type of approach? As a way of expanding options for recreation and making the most of each season. So let's listen a little bit to what it was like to make the most of fall duck hunting season. When Matthew was holding that duck, which is like, you know the first duck that you've shot or like there's a lot of intention that goes into that and you know standing there like there's there's some back padding and back slapping and hooting and hollering but there was also like that moment of just watching you lean into all of those feelings of like Mm -hmm. you know wow this thing was moments ago alive it's still warm it's what's going to go on our macaroni tonight um and and probably a whole host of other really complex feelings and, totally. and you know being able to support you through that mm-hmm. and like acknowledge that and at the same time you know say congrats dude that's an awesome shot and a you know gonna be a really tasty duck so it's often joe that we go in and we do these episodes in the wilderness and whatever comes after the recording never makes the cut right mm-hmm. and i just wanted to say that one of the things that i did not get to talk about was uh, going back to camp, uh, Sven showing me how to butcher the duck, uh, how to cook it, and the taste of that duck was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Mm. I could taste hints of cedar and pine. It tasted like the wilderness, Joe. Mm. Wow. Yeah. In a way I have never experienced before or since. 
and is really getting me excited for this next season. Yes, absolutely. Uh, 2020, you mentioned the pandemic. It was a big year for the podcast. We It presented challenges, but it also opened up some beautiful doors for us as well, just through those challenges and the, the storytelling that went into that. should also make a note that we were presented the very prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award in 2020 for Best Podcast, and uh, that was something that we celebrated on an, on an episode in the wilderness, no less. Uh, but uh, just to to make note of that, and, and that episode largely connected, but podcast overall, but we submitted some audio from our pal Eric Dickus, uh, the first time we had met him when he did his audio diary and his visit to uh, Graham Murray to speak with us afterward about the passing of his father and honoring his father by doing that canoe trip. It's a celebrated episode. And and now we've, we've formed a relationship with Eric and his family through the podcast, through the Boundary Waters, as a result of that. That's been one of the most powerful parts about this is the relationships. We talk awful lot about our relationship to the wilderness, but our relationship to the community and the people. And those relationships continue to grow uh, in depth and in number as we continue to hear more from you, our listeners. And it's never too late to reach out to us and start that process because you are this podcast. Right. Absolutely. We've been hearing from people continuously and uh, encourage you to keep doing that. Please uh, write us at bwcapodcast at gmail.com or call the station or if you're in Grand Marais, stop by or whatever works for you. But we do want to keep hearing these stories. They're what make the podcast go. Here's the thing, Joe. We are in Grand Marais and we're also in Ely. Yes. That's the cool thing that has happened as this podcast has evolved. Ely has become as much a part of this podcast or is growing in its presence as our little home community here. And one of the ways that that was so clear was our experience at Listening Point. Right. We had a fellowship uh, presented to us to go like an artist residency, essentially, to go stay at Sigurd Olson's home. Uh, Steffi O'Brien, the director, let us stay at, literally, at Sigurd Olson's house, which is now the headquarters of the Listening Point Foundation. Uh, Handed the keys to the Listening Point cabin. Here it is. The place is yours for the weekend. Went swimming out there. Spent time, made an episode out there. Uh, One of my most you know, soulful experiences on the podcast was certainly a listening point. Hands down. Soulful is the best way to describe it. Let's hear a little bit of that. Here, if anywhere, was the simplicity he meant. This was no place for fancy or unnecessary equipment. The cabin meant moccasins, rough wool, and leather, and simple thoughts. The complicated problems of society, politics, war, and peace seemed far removed. The only thoughts that thrived here were of squirrels and birds and snowshoe trails. Here I felt as much a part of the out-of-doors as when sleeping under a ledge. The words of Sigurd Olson being read in the cabin that Sigurd himself built on Listening Point. I feel it. We're inside 
the cabin that, as you said, Matthew's here on Listening Point. We've moved from the dock to the cabin now, inside the cabin. The birds are starting their evening calls and songs. It's exactly as it was left, for the most part. And it's really wonderful. This is our third night in a row now being here. Tonight feels a little different in, a, in an exciting way that I can't quite put my finger on yet. There's a power in it. Sigurd's desire was that everything be left as it is at this place. And it truly is. You know, his shave kit sits on a little wooden shelf under a mirror. His kettle sits on the little stove. Paddles for his canoe still sit in the corner. Fishing tackle box up on the shelf. Moose sheds, rocks. The windows are the same. The chairs, the table where we're sitting right now. One of the things challenging about Wilderness Joe is that part of its beauty is that it comes out of the deepest desire to preserve a place that is, you could say, unpolluted by our human economics and our human destruction that we do in our processes of creation. The reality is that as untouched as this is and as virtually untouched as the wilderness is, the passage of time continues on. The world is always changing and we are always changing. And, and you know, we hear these stories, you know, Myron's stories and these other men whose lives were changed when boys in the wilderness. And one thing that has most certainly changed is that there was a time where it was just about always men in the wilderness. Most common was to have groups of white men doing trips into the wilderness. Indeed, yes. Like for our European settler heritage. And that's changing. The folks who want and desire access to wilderness is as varied and diverse as the human race. And Joe, in that same way that the listening point is essential to our understanding of the wilderness, Ely is essential to our experience of the wilderness, as is Lutz and Tofty, Grand Marais, uh, everything in between. These are the Boundary Waters Edge communities that define our experiences. And when you talk about Lutzen, Tofty, Grand Marais, what we had never up until then mentioned was what's on the other side of that highway, Highway 61, Lake Superior. <laughs> there, there it sits. I continue to maintain that Lake Superior is the largest lake in the Boundary Waters because it makes up our border with Canada. And I stick to that. Bring on your arguments. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the water, these these streams flow, you know, a lot of them go up through the Laurentian Divide, depending on where you're going, up to Hudson Bay or uh, the Rainy River watershed. Like, we don't necessarily think of all this connectedness with Lake Superior. But 
but it is. It's all these streams, all this water. It's all part in my mind of, you know, boundaries. We've talked about the wilderness line and when you cross it, what it means and these different, uh, you know, human-made lines and so forth. So we wanted to get a taste of a place that we had heard about so much, Isle Royal National Park. So it turns out that many of us that love the Boundary Waters, Canary Wilderness, also have a love for this island. I think we've heard more. I have personally had more feedback about the Isle Royal episode, uh, which we did in the summer of 2021. It's episode 44. We heard a lot of feedback from people. Hey, that was great. You made it out there. What a place, huh? Uh, Not to take away. It's not a comparison or, or something to the Boundary Waters, which is better because they're completely different logistically certainly for us, to to go to. What happened to us out there, though, was basically a Boundary Waters experience. Indeed it was. The merger of the North Shore and the Boundary Waters. Let's uh, take you out there for some of that. Each day is not really separate. It's just one merger of immersion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing that inspires me most about our conversations with these folks who either work at the park or work for some institution enti- yeah it's institution or entity is that they're you know passionate inspiring and motivated by the work and by the place with a love there's a love for it so there's talk tomorrow on day four it's our last full day on the island of Maybe a return to the water once again. Uh, we're open to, to all things that might come our way. Maybe talk of some thunderstorms on the horizon. Uh, we'll wait and see what the next day brings. But we're going to go sh- share some casserole soup. <laughs> I'm pretty hungry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had another great day out here at Isle Royal. out here on night three another update after our delicious soup first thunderstorm of the trip is rolling in right now after some strange tidal phenomenons or along the creek where I was standing on the bank and looked down a moment later and my shoes tops were covered in water instantly after what appeared to be some kind of tidal wave swept through I was walking back from uh, just checking out what was moving in over the trees and I literally heard the wall of water get swept up the creek. I thought it was a moose, it was so loud. Matthew's face illuminated by lightning. It is profoundly clear that we are on what subjectively is a very tiny island in the middle of a very massive lake. (laughs) There's some thunder rumbling in the distance. Lightning strikes directly overhead. That kind of light where you see it start in the distance and then hear some low rumbles of thunder and 
louder and brighter and louder and brighter and we're gonna sit and watch this roll in and retreat to our shelter once it hits and it's appearing to be here's the calm into the eye of it Suddenly. Beautiful night at Isle Royal. Incredible, I love storm energy so much. There's such a sense of calm that comes from these wild places. Not just calm. Calm comes in the quiet. Uh, there's excitement. There's anxiety in the looming storms. There's anticipation over a moose tromping through the woods or down a portage trail. It's the full spectrum of human emotions that we get to experience while in these places an amazing gift 50 episodes we've been to isle royal we've been to ely we've been to quetico we've been all over the boundary waters you've been with us for all of these 50 episodes through wildfires and closures a pandemic and uh, all kinds of things that we have navigated through here on the podcast all told through your stories and our own experiences of people of different ages, men and women, and different times of year, all four seasons. Kids, can't forget the little ones. Absolutely, of course. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been such a privilege to be able to share these stories on the podcast and to share some of our own experiences as well. Episode 50, made possible by you, our listener, by Joe my co-host, by WTIP, the amazing entity that allows us to make this podcast, and by the Boundary Waters. I appreciate your enthusiasm today, Matthew, and uh, unfortunately I've got a, a new assignment for you for episode 51. Uh-oh. Uh, you have been tasked with going to dig latrine pits uh, oh. <laughs> for me at my house. <laughs> <laughs>
Speaking of gastrointestinal problems. (laughs) (laughs) I'm drooling. (laughs) Let me try that. Okay. Uh, so I appreciate your enthusiasm that you've brought to episode 50 today, Matthew. I do have uh, some news for you. We got a, a special notification from the upper management and the board at WTIP, a memo that just came through. Uh, evidently, you have been assigned for the next six months to go live in the Boundary Waters. What? With... Nothing more than this roll of dental floss. So congratulations. Here's your floss. Uh, report back to us in six months. What an honor. And uh, I don't know why you're still here. Okay. <laughs> uh, see you later. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to end this. Right, right there. Let's, let's roll through both of them. Yeah. Just make it ridiculous. <laughs> I just sing when I paddle in. Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams. And roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around, all around The campfire light